Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. After months of buildup, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith finally unveiled the legislation that was key to her leadership win. The Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act may have had a softer name than initially proposed, but it was met with controversy over how it would operate and what powers it gave to her cabinet. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Calgary Sun columnist Rick Bell joins me to discuss what's in the new bill, why some aspects of it have forced the Smith government to walk it back, and how it could be applied to federal law. Don't forget you could find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Rick, four months... There's been talk in Alberta about the, I guess what you call the flagship legislation of the new Daniel Smith regime in Alberta, the Alberta Sovereignty Act. And after months of discussion about what that would look like, it was finally unveiled late November. Daniel Smith, Justice Minister Tyler Shandro, unveiled this, this key piece of legislation. And there was talk leading up to it that it would either be as advertised and scared the crap out of a lot of people, or it would be a watered-down version to make it palatable to not only the people who ran against her, who are now in her cabinet, people like Travis Taves, people like Brian Jean, but also to Albertans on the whole. So November 29th, we finally see Bill 1, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act. Aside from a, a moderated name, was the bill as advertised? Well, it, <laughs> it really depends what you mean by as advertised, because the Sovereignty Act has had a really weird journey. It started off in the UCP leadership race that Danielle Smith won, attracting all kinds of really PO'd voters to sign up, buy memberships, vote for Danielle, based on the idea that the Sovereignty Act was going to be the ultimate nuclear weapon, the nuclear option against Trudeau and the Trudeau-Singh alliance and Ottawa and the Laurentian elites and all the rest of it. This was going to be the secret weapon. And it was supposed to be, as advertised by the early proponents, not only unconstitutional, it was supposed to provoke a constitutional crisis in Canada because such was the amount of injustice leveled against Alberta by Ottawa. We needed something that would actually provoke a constitutional crisis. And a lot of people went out 
and bought UCP memberships for Danielle to support her based on that. Then, during the UCP leadership race, candidates running for that same UCP leadership attacked it. There was all kinds of attacks. So there was an expectation of, well, we would just see what happened. Then we were told it wasn't going to be unconstitutional, wasn't going to provoke a constitutional crisis. Then there was the problem of, was it really separatism by stealth? And they had polling to show that people were very uneasy about this Sovereignty Act. Late last week, there was a poll that showed that, in fact, even before this Sovereignty Act was rolled out, only 32% of Albertans thought it was needed. And in the cities, it was fewer than 3 in 10. And even in the country, in the rural areas, it was not 50%. So there were problems there. So then we were told it was constitutional. Then we were told it was not separatist, hence the name change, and it became within a united Canada was added. So at that point, it was hard to really know what to expect. Some people thought it was going to be kind of like the turn off the taps legislation. It was just going to be this wimpy thing that would just sit there on paper but not mean anything. I never thought that because I knew the history of this act and how her base was so revved up by the original one. Now, those changes were made. So then it is it comes out, and who would have thunk it with the Smith government? There was confusion, and there was consternation still because, well, the biggest thing was that the inner circle of Danielle Smith, her cabinet, could change laws without going back, explicitly going back to the elected members of the legislature for their consent, their thumbs up. So then, so then we had that, and when we had, was that just a wording issue? Was that, you know, we, 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 you know, you guys are just getting caught up in semantics and sentence structure and where the subordinate clauses are and where the commas are put, or, 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 you know, this is just an editing issue. It's not really much of anything. But then people were, including, including top conservative thinkers deep thinkers. Many of them were even saying, not, not so much on the constitutional issue, they just said, really? You're going to be changing laws? Your cabinet is going to be changing laws without going back to the legislature and following the usual routine? And then, number two, there was you know the issue of harm and how big a definition harm would be, because it was you know, if it was harmful to Albertans, you could have the fight with Ottawa. And then, of course, Danielle Smith said, well, we're not going to use it willy-nilly. Uh, but at the same time, she was saying, I want my cabinet ministers to come back by the spring with different areas where this can be used. So it just became a dog's breakfast, and most dogs wouldn't eat it. It just kept going on and on. Albertans were concerned. Albertans. So I want to tell all these people who think this is some sort of a left liberal cabal that's uh, running the show here. These were Albertans contacting the UCP MLAs and saying, what the heck is going on here? Remember, this was an idea they weren't sold on in the beginning. Now, she clarified the awkwardness. I'm doing little quotes with my fingers here. 
of the of the proposal. So now it's clearer that the legislature, the elected politicians, will be the arbiters of of what is and with what is not the reason to go to war with Ottawa. So now we're at the point where maybe finally it can get to the finish line uh, after this very, very interesting, convoluted journey to where we are today. And it'll pass because the UCP majority will will vote for it. There's a lot of controversy around the bill, as you mentioned. I guess to back it up a little bit. So what is it that the bill actually says the government can do, at least as it was originally proposed. It's the idea that if, as you mentioned, if it's believed that a piece of federal legislation can cause harm, as, you know, air quotes, harm to Alberta, that they can bring in resolutions to debate in the House and they will invoke the Alberta sovereignty within the United Canada Act and say we're not going to abide by these federal laws is that kind of the the base idea of how this works well yeah the i i think the i think the wording of the resolution will uh you know i'm no uh no constitutional lawyer here but my understanding is the motion would identify the policy and then the motion would propose specific measures to be done whatever that would be and that now under these things cabinet would sort of craft what that was, and then they would go back to the legislature for another debate about it. So depending on what the law was or the policy that they felt infringed upon Alberta's provincial rights, there would be also, you know, a a proposal of what to do about it. And I guess that would vary depending on what the federal government's encroachment on Alberta was. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As you mentioned, there's a lot of controversy around the the notion that cabinet could unilaterally rewrite provincial laws to address these issues. And I believe the nickname for them were, were Henry VIII laws. And for people who aren't students of history... I, I am <laughs> not going to go into that. You can explain Henry VIII laws. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to get into those weeds. I'll never use that, that in a column. Yeah. I might get my head cut off, uh, speaking of... <laughs> But but essentially, these are these are you know powers that would allow cabinet to usurp the authority of the legislature. And, yeah, well, and, that, and, that, that, that's not happening. Yeah, but as they were, the thing that I was confused about is they were written into the legislation, and when officials were asked about it when the during the technical briefing, which reporters get to explain the legislation, because you know we're not policy uh, analysts, all of us, and. We were asked about these powers and they said, oh yeah, no, that's in there. And then Tyler Shandra was asked about it and said, oh yeah, no, they're in there. Yeah, that's correct. That's what we can do. And then all of a sudden it was, well, we need to walk this back. There were complaints about this, but no one was 
able to really admit what happened here. And I'm, I'm wondering, in the last week and a half since this legislation was unveiled and this controversy was sparked, have we gotten a sense of what the heck happened with this these Henry VIII powers? I, I think, again, if we go right back to the beginning, r- way back to how strong the bill was, and then that wasn't couldn't be sold to Albertans. And then they changed the name. And then they introduced it, uh, Bill 1. And then there were still complaints. So they just keep walking back because either the polling, if they're doing any polling, or the phone calls or the emails were coming in. And I think the concern was to get Bill 1 in whatever form to the finish line. And in fact, I believe when a release was put out by the UCP MLAs, it even contained the phrase to the finish line. So I think they knew they had to get this to the finish line. And therefore we went from this to this, to this, to this, to this, to this. And now we are where we are with this, but it's interesting. You mention admitting a mistake because I asked Premier Smith, I said I would make it easy for her. She always talks about Ralph Klein, and Ralph Klein is one of her heroes. So I said, did you make a mistake in the rollout of this? Thinking she might say, opening the door as wide as I could for her to say, yes, yeah, yeah, we screwed up. We were talking when we should have been listening, but now now everything's been straightened out, so let's move ahead, or something to that effect. I wasn't even really asking for an apology. I was just asking for an admission that we who were covering the story and the Albertans who were complaining were not totally insane and that we actually had the story right. And, of course, she did not do that. She went back to talking about clarifications and awkwardness and all of that stuff, but never actually came out and said that in fact we got it we got the rollout of this thing wrong now we've heard from Albertans and corrected it and now we can move on i call it missing her ralph klein moment because i was around in the days of premier klein and realized how effective he was in talking about what he called stepping on a snake oh we stepped on a snake so we're not going to do this and people tend to forgive, people to some degree forgive that because all of us make mistakes. And so people go, yeah, yeah, you know, it takes a pretty big person to admit to their mistakes. But no, they did not bid to it. So they're still clinging on to the idea that there was some sort of confusion. We're not sure exactly how that happened, but it's probably our fault, by the way, uh, not theirs uh, in their mind. And they're, they're going to move on with this. I mean, the interesting thing is going to be, with all of these changes, can it survive legally? Because who knows what that means? And a lot of people say it can, and if it does, then in the spring, you know, a lot of the Smiths people say they just want to get the Sovereignty Act done because it was what their supporters wanted. Get it done, and then we can talk about giving checks to people. And that's much nicer. But it's coming back in the spring because there will be actual measures or or complaints about the feds or instances of federal government overreach, and then they'll use it. But I think that's where the Smith government thinks they're going to come out winning, 
because when it goes back to the legislature, you know, there'll have to be a vote on whether to do this or that. And I'm sure they're convinced that they're boxing in the opposition to have to vote with them to go after Ottawa either. And if they don't, then in the election campaign in May, they'll be accused of being soft on Trudeau, soft on the liberal NDP, whatever it's called. So that's going to be very interesting to see what actually happens. Or, you know, all these cabinet ministers are supposed to bring back examples of federal government no-nos. Like, are there going to be 15 of these resolutions? Are there going to be three? Are there going to be any? Are there going to be just one just to show it was used? It's very curious as to see, like, how much of this pre-election legislature session is going to be consumed by fighting Ottawa. I have no idea. And and but do we know by what measure or who's going to be the arbiter of of you know now it's it's not harms uh, to Alberta it's things that are unconstitutional or where the feds overstep their constitutional bounds. Do we get a sense of of who's making this call? Is it lawyers within the government? Is it cabinet ministers? Is it UCP MLAs who may have a, a bee in their bonnet over fertilizer regulations? No, no, because because no, the good that's a super question. It's actually supposed to be a minister who brings forward the motion. So it could be the premier or any of the cabinet ministers. So obviously, if they're bringing these motions forward, you would think you never know in the belly of the beast known as Alberta politics. But you would think they would have they would vet it with the appropriate legal beagles in the provincial government. So it's going to be a minister brings it forward. And that's why. The premier has said to the ministers, I want you to come up with stuff that can be motions in the spring. Well, that doesn't mean, obviously, all these motions will happen, I don't think. But, you know, there will be, you know, some of them will probably uh, be triggered and there will be the, these kinds of debates. I don't know how much, but I can't, I can't see it just becoming a turn off the taps law where it's just sitting there and nothing happens because... So much of Premier Smith's leadership campaign and so much of the preoccupations of her core supporters is about Trudeau, is about Ottawa. Because remember, people forget, I guess, because she's now the Premier, but she basically ran on two things. I love freedom as much as you do. I hate Trudeau as much as you do. And so that second one is something, you know, COVID and Trudeau. And the Trudeau uh, part, I can't, I can't see her not trying this Sovereignty Act out in the spring a few times to show her supporters that it isn't just virtue signaling. So we have two issues with the legislation that we've talked about. This is cabinet kind of taking on the powers of the legislature and then cabinet taking on the powers of judges by deciding what is and what isn't constitutional. The, the third issue that I've seen with the law is this idea that it will force provincial entities into a situation where they're having to violate federal law. And examples that I can think of right now include if the federal government implements a a gun ban and and the Mounties need to go round up a bunch of firearms, the province could turn around and say, wait a second, we're not going to do that here. And it puts the RCMP in a bit of a bind. And as I understand, at the city of Calgary, 
the city lawyer was raising a concern about the legislation as well. You know, a lot of this could be a wait and see and and see how organizations are are painted into a corner. But how big a concern is that here? Are like could the city or public school boards or AHS be be forced to do things that are in violation of federal law? And and if so, what are the repercussions there? I think you uh, hit the nail on the head, which is we don't really know. And we're not going to know until they test drive this thing. But it has created, obviously, I mean, another word that's used a lot around the Sovereignty Act is the word uncertainty. You know, businesses aren't directly involved, but still there are business organizations who have expressed concern about just the general uncertainty around what the Sovereignty Act actually means, not on paper, but in its implementation. I think the same thing is the case, well, even more strongly, it's the case for any of these so-called entities like universities, like school boards, like obviously health authorities, like the cops, like the cities and towns, uh, local governments. They've been so busy just dealing with the 35,000 feet issues and getting that resolved that I don't think they've fleshed out adequately for us to understand exactly what that'll mean. But we will we'll find out soon enough. But it does create, in the meantime, quite a bit of uncertainty. And I don't think that's been clarified. We've been so busy on all of this other stuff. Is it constitutional? Can you, you know, uh, work around the elected officials? Uh, what's the definition of this? What's the definition of that? That I think that is very much an open question, and it is creating uh, a lot of head-scratching with people who might be affected, either directly or indirectly. Last question on this. You know, there was a lot of talk in the leadership race about whether this would be bad for investment in Alberta, that could it could create an uncertain climate for business. You know, we've, we've heard from the Calgary Chamber of Commerce, and I understand, I believe, even possibly uh, some in the oil sector is there a groundswell of business groups or businesses that are are saying, wait a second, this, you know, now that this is out there, we don't like this. This is a bad, bad thing here. Well, so, some have spoken out, but I think the government's contention is that they're getting, you know, back channel feedback from businesses, perhaps not official organizations, but actual, you know, companies saying that there isn't a problem with that. Again, another uncertain variable in this whole uh, puzzle is, you know, what effect, if any, it will actually have. Because again, again, it's hard to measure that right now, what that will be. I think at least the UCP MLAs are hoping that by having these successive walkbacks from the original, you know, quite strong Sovereignty Act to now the latest version that that won't happen. But again, you know, I hate to use the old uh, the old phrase, time will tell. But I mean, it, it's it's hard to tell. I mean, businesses haven't come out, you know, uh, it's it's not like when the NEP was happening or something back in the 80s. I mean, we're not, you know, not getting that groundswell. I think a lot of people are just, you know, taking a wait and see approach, as we all are, to see what, uh, what happens with it. But it is interesting that they want to push this thing through very quickly, which tells you actions speak louder than words. It tells you, for the moment at least, they are done with the Sovereignty Act. So they are admitting without admitting that this thing was a circus act 
where the clowns weren't funny. That's true. And, you know, we'll see how this plays out over the next few months. Rick, always a pleasure. Yes, thank you. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Rick Bell. More from him at calgarysun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.